There's an element of agriculture that's almost like shepherding water. What the heck am I getting at here? If you're into cattle and you're out here in Alberta, you're probably gonna want to try every possible way to keep that spring melt or a heavy rain from racing off your land. So maybe you throw in a shelter belt or an eco buffer. Maybe you try out swales, and hopefully you're giving your pasture adequate rest and recovery so moisture can infiltrate the soil. One of those tried and tested methods out here of ensuring that that water doesn't go wandering off is the dugout. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're discussing dugout management. Welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solution podcast, Getting Through Drought series, where we're exploring the best management practices that cow-calf operators in Alberta can put into action during or before a drought. Over about 10 episodes, the series will cover topics such as grazing management, effects on soil conditions, moisture retention, animal stress reduction, and feed additives. This is our second installment in the series, and in this episode we talked to Noreen Ambrose of Cows and Fish about dugout management, as well as general riparian area management. Doing both of these things well can really save your bacon when you're hit by a drought. Uh, yeah, my name's Noreen Ambrose. I work with Cows and Fish. I'm the executive director and I live in Lethbridge, but I do work kind of all over Alberta. Cows and Fish is an organization that helps people understand these places we call riparian areas, the stream sides, the shorelines, those floodplains next to water bodies that are affected and, and wetter because they're near a water body that have lusher vegetation and wet soils. Uh, our, our legal name is Alberta Riparian Habitat Management Society. We are a registered society and a charity. So that is our legal name, but most people know us by cows and fish. Okay, okay. I've always been curious about that. If you do have a personal connection to agriculture, could you just sort of go into that? I was born and raised on a farm near Bashaw, for those people that know where Bashaw is. And my family still farms, both my immediate and my extended family on both sides are mostly in the farming community. I don't actually farm myself, of course. First question I had for Noreen was to explain what a riparian area is. Technically, the dugout itself might not be a riparian area, but the the area adjacent to it often is. So a riparian area is formed because there's been long-term influence of water on the soils and the plants. And so that riparian area forms as soon as something's been sitting there with water for a long time. In the case of a dugout, if it's been a dugout for a long time, it probably has a riparian area on the boundaries of it because it's changed the soil because there's extra water, which changes the plants. So probably most dugouts that are long-term will have riparian areas, just like any man-made water body over time will actually also have riparian areas. Okay, okay. So the riparian area itself, it's, it's not so much the water, it's like the land interacting with the water. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's that interaction of the, the soil, the water, and the plants that makes it riparian over time. And that's why natural water bodies, whether they're even when they're dry a little bit of the time or longer extended periods it's more like millennial time we're talking so thousands of years these soils have evolved and plants have evolved in those places because there's extra water you know even a riparian air can be dry temporarily especially during droughts the water body might be dry as well but it doesn't mean it's not riparian it's just doesn't have any visible water for a while I feel like a bit of a moron that I didn't realize that technically a riparian area is where the land meets the water. 
It's amazing how much I've learned from doing this podcast. Next up, I asked Noreen, what are the benefits of having a riparian area on your farm or ranch? Riparian areas are, are really valuable for lots of reasons. They obviously do store water. The water body itself stores water, but the floodplain and the banks and the shores store a lot of water as well, which we don't see because it's invisible to us. No. But it's a really critical piece of um, the value of riparian areas is that water storage capacity underground because it moves back into the water body during dry times. And it also hydrates the soils and creates a very abundant lush productivity, which is one of the other benefits is riparian areas are generally more productive in terms of primary productivity and growth in plants because there's more forage because there's more water and there's really deep rich soils usually. They help our clean clean our water because they filter and trap runoff and sediment. They provide a lot of biological diversity in plants and animals and support fish if it's a fish bearing water body, not, not usually dugouts, but and of course they protect us from erosion and flood and drought. So they add resiliency in that because they are kind of an ameliorating, they, they sort of buffer the, what's happening on the land and the water and create that capacity to buffer impact, both runoff, drought, flood, um, and, and reduce the impact, but also allow things to bounce back more quickly. I know Cows and Fish probably has a very, very long list of good management principles when it comes to riparian areas, but maybe if you could throw out like a top five or a top three, just like basic principles to good riparian management. I will focus more on the cattle side because we're talking about dugouts here, which are usually used for livestock. And really the four grazing principles are apply everywhere, both in the riparian area and elsewhere in the uplands is proper balance. So balancing your forage supply with your demand, you can't have more than your site produces or can sustainably produce long-term. Adequate rest, which means rest during the growing season so plants can recoup and be ready to grow again. Distribution should be planned. Cows make all the decisions themselves or other livestock. They get to hang out where they want. So plan distribution to avoid them lingering in their favorite spots, which often are next to the water. And then timing, avoiding those sensitive periods, which in a riparian area tends to be, and dugouts is when the soils are soft and wet. So they're much more susceptible to compaction and erosion or often later season, like in droughts, especially, or late season when there's very little grass forage left, they start to seek out trees and shrubs. The grass is either all you know matured off or perhaps there's not much left and they're really seeking out woody plants, which in a riparian area are really important to hold together the banks and the streams of, of a water body, but also provide habitat and shelter for livestock and wind protection too. So those four principles, regardless of how you accomplish it, different kinds of rotation, different kinds of timing, the practice of how you get there is highly variable, but those are the four things to look for basically in, in grazing management. I don't know if I'm the only person that has this in their head, but maybe other folks too. It's just when you think riparian areas, like good management is just putting up a big fence around it, making sure nothing gets in there. But you're talking about it's more like a, yeah, you integrate it into the farm. It's not just like a conservation yeah. piece. It's, it's part of the production. And it's really certainly up to the, the, the manager, the landowner to determine if exclusion is an option. Certainly not all riparian areas are suited to grazing. For all the reasons I mentioned, they maybe can't be mitigated, those those sort of principles. Sometimes it's like logistically really a problem. Access or just cows are getting bogged down and other sensitive reasons like wildlife habitat and water quality, or it's not a big chunk of your space and you are fine with converting that to an exclusion area for for conservation purposes, for water quality protection, for wildlife or or whatever, that's totally an option as well. But if you are grazing it, you really need to look at those principles I talked about and to keep it sustainable long term. And sometimes that's making it a really defined riparian pasture. So it's only used when, when it's suitable for riparian areas because a lot of times we have riparian areas interwoven with other sites and that includes our dugouts. Our, our dugouts usually don't have a lot of 
area. So they aren't really big enough for a pasture unit. But sometimes riparian areas are whole floodplains and valley bottoms, right? In which case they could be quite large. And so managing them for what's suitable for them compared to a dry upland or a tame pasture or a forest that's next to them can be quite different in terms of what's suitable timing. We've arrived at the question or the idea that inspired this episode, and I have to give Sean McGrath, who's a rancher out near Vermilion, he also spoke on our very first episode of this series. It was the episode about drought planning. I have to give him credit for putting the idea in my head. I think most people know that keeping cows out of a dugout, it's going to be good for water quality. That one probably seems fairly obvious. I didn't really think of its impacts on water quantity, and Noreen does a great job of explaining how that works right here. So dugouts especially are prone to infilling from the side. So when livestock are accessing the the edges of it, I won't call it the banks, but the the sides, whatever shape you've built them, basically hoof action over decades or years pushes soil down into the bottom and they basically start to fill in. And that means there's less capacity to hold water. And not that it adds new water in a drought, but it means in when there is water from runoff, from snowmelt or whatever, when there is available water to capture, you can capture more if you haven't infilled it. And so a lot of producers, of course, are spending money and, and there's a, some producers we worked with in the last couple of years who were, you know, they're spending a bunch of money to dredge out their dugouts to add capacity back because when you do have water available, you need to capture it. So in drier times, you have it. And and if you don't have that capacity, you can't store it. The basin gets smaller and smaller. In in natural water bodies, that's a little bit different because, you know, let, let's say we're talking a stream, obviously water's flowing, but in a, in a lake or a wetland system or say a small wetland, the more your hoof action is breaking up the, the bottom. And to some degree, this probably applies in dugouts as well. It's almost like there's a natural seal of I'll call it muck, but basically natural bacteria and a layer in there that creates a, a natural layer. And certainly in your dugout, most dugouts are built in a with a good clay layer in the bottom. If they aren't actually physically lined, they're lined with clay to reduce seepage. And the more that gets churned up, the potential you risk basically you know letting water more water seep out more quickly because you know maybe it's not clay below that, and you're accessing sand or less you know maybe more fine soils but not clay because clay is a generally good capturer of moisture and doesn't let as much water through so that's one of the reasons you you want to actually think about it for quantity and also the other thing which we don't think about is sometimes there's this conception that if you have a lot of if you have a bunch of plants the plants are going to use up all of your water and it's true plants use water but the vegetation around your dugout or natural work parent area obviously as well close by and in the whole watershed, the area that it drains to, traps more snow and that snow can then get into the dugout. Compared to bare soil or or low, low stubble or something like that, a lot of Alberta's dugouts fill from spring runoff. And the more you can capture in that time frame to get into your dugout, the more you'll have for later. So if it blows away or evaporates away, then it's not going to go in the dugout. And so the vegetation can be actually really helpful. And so that's why keeping your cows from creating a lot of bare soil is also important to just allow snow trapping and water holding opportunities. Do you or Cows and Fish have any recommendations of the, the type of vegetation you could put in place? One of my first summers in Alberta was spent trying to plant trees around a dugout and all those trees died. So uh, <laughs> yeah. throughout that year, so maybe it was that, but like the 
man, was that soil hard to get the trees in too because there's so much clay in there. I would say think more than just the edges, right? Think of the the surrounding area that's feeding the dugout, the upslope, up watershed. So the area that's going to drain in, you know, whether that's tame pasture or native pasture uh, or forested, you know, encouraging that. And the stuff right close to the dugout, it's really tough because usually the spoil piles are subsoil like from whatever, five or 10 feet down. So the quality of the soil is really poor. Grass seed of, of that's maybe a little saline or low quality tolerant. Every area will be different depending on the soil you have or how saturated. Sometimes people have spread out or even removed their spoil piles. In that case, it's totally different soil. But a lot of times that that's another reason you see a lot of bare soil because stuff doesn't want to get growing on there. And if it's not fenced out, the cows also really love to climb all over them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think if you pasture mixes. If you can do native plants, that's great, especially at the wetter portions, because they're going to be more tolerant of those conditions. Things like western wheatgrass is pretty tolerant of not great soils and compacted soils and a little bit of salinity and alkalinity. It's native. It is in some forage mixes. Some of the other wheatgrasses tend to be not too bad. So it's it's kind of tricky. And certainly if you can get trees and shrubs growing, that's great too. It's definitely tougher if you have the spoil piles there though, because the soil is really not suited. It's not, it's not, it's subsoil. It's not topsoil. If you're interested in learning more about how to trap the snow that eventually makes its way into your dugouts in the spring, I recommend listening to episode four with retired agroforestry specialist Gary Bank, and maybe even listen to episode 32, which is about alley cropping. So keeping cattle out of your dugouts or making sure they spend very little time in your dugouts sounds like a good idea if you're preparing for the next drought. Ask Noreen if she had any recommendations on how cow-calf producers can keep cattle out of dugouts, but at the same time, ensure they have access to adequate water. There's a lot of great research in Canada and the U.S. that shows that even when you don't fence out a water body, including dugouts, putting an off-site watering system of virtually any kind that pumps the water out into a trough is 80% of the time they're going to drink out of the trough, even if you don't fence out the water body, whether it's a dugout, a stream, a lake. Well, there's always the odd cow or young animal that, that has either a bad habit or a long held habit they don't want to break. But the vast majority and almost all the research leads to this 80% of the drinks will come out of the trough and not the water body if you don't fence. Having a waterer that will really save you money because you don't have to fence. But it also means, yeah, in a drought situation or if you're concerned about your waterer may fail and you're not able to check it daily in the summer, you need cows to have water every day, obviously, can be a great strategy to at least reduce the pressure. But I would say always put the trough as far away as you can because I, I go back to the principles. If your distribution is just on that bank or the very edge, you're not really distributing the better. They're still just going and lingering all their time right on the edge of the water body or including the dugout and, and having the same impact you're trying to minimize, right? Pull it further away is better. And not putting your salt right at the, on the bank of the dugout, right beside your water. Put your salt somewhere completely different. Salt and water do not need to be together, although it's sometimes convenient. It actually encourages the cows to spend twice as much time there because some of the livestock behavior research says that they, they take them separately. They take a drink, they do whatever, and they come back another time to get their salt or mineral. So if you put your salt and mineral, which is the next most important thing for distribution, put it somewhere else, then they aren't adding, you're not doubling the time at that same water body. So that's really useful. Obviously, fencing is valuable. It's kind of been an interesting evolution of best practices because dugouts used to be a great place to say, well, let's just make sure we have the ramp shape so that 
when cattle are going into it, it's the right slope. Now it's kind of recognized that it is better to exclude them just because the water quality and quantity and the dugout will last longer. But you can do that by fencing it off. You can do that by the like putting the water, pulling the water out to something else. Same four principles, even temporary electric. Like a, there are quite a few people that do that. They'll, or they'll fence off three quarters or 80% of the dugout and just give one good access point that's got low slope and it's not as prone to erosion as geotextiled and gravel. That's kind of the old PFRA technique that helps reduce that sloughing in of your dugout and makes it last longer. And in a drought, or if you put one string of electric fence or one string of regular barbed wire around in a situation where you're waterer doesn't work, the cows can still get in. They'll let themselves in, so to speak. So kind of like an emergency backup plan you do want to have if you're not out checking daily or regularly, you know, it's remote or whatever, you definitely need to make sure they can access that water, especially in hot, dry conditions in a drought. But dugouts are also prone to, because they can be smaller, it is important to check them for water quality and you can get it tested. Certainly things like blue-green algae are toxic to cattle or even just high sulfate. So in a drought situation, your water quality could be quite low. Low volume means you know, sometimes higher risk of either water quality, so sulfates and salts build up and things like that. At this point in our chat, I asked Noreen to share any Alberta dugout or riparian area success stories she knew of. I mentioned earlier that we're working with some landowners in the southeast, sort of like south of Medicine Hat, south of Lethbridge. So very dry country and it's naturally dry there all the time, but you know, it's been extra, it's extra dry. And they were spending a bunch of time and effort cleaning out their dugouts because of what I mentioned before. They just over time have gotten less and less and less capacity and a lot of people's dugouts across the province, but certainly in the south were were dry and it doesn't magically bring new water. After they did that, then they're like working with us. We're like, you know, they'll last longer if you can fence them out, if you can pump water out of them, any one or both of those things. And so they are looking at doing that now. They're really remote and hard to access, like big, big open range, not easily accessible, giant coolie draws and things. So not easy to get around and haul things and drive in some spots. But I think that's a, a real testament to the the recognition that water is critical and it's a limiting, it's a super limiting factor, right? In a lot of these places, more and more people we've been working with are, are drilling wells. It costs more, but if they can find water, it's money. It means they have security if they can find a good well. And especially in this last few years, we've been talking to more people who are drilling wells just because they, they just don't have consistent water in these dry conditions. But one of the things that I think we really learned in in 2001, I'm sure many of the producers who were around back then know that that was one of the driest years we had. That 2000 to 2002 was a major drought where they were shipping bales from like the Maritimes to Alberta to help feed Alberta cows because it was so dry here. At that time, we were part of um, learning from some ranchers near the Cypress Hills who had for about five years up to that point changed their grazing practices on uh, they had the same number of cows they had just basically split a really large pasture into two and had were creating a switchback rotation so it got half of the season of rest whereas before the riparian areas were getting used all season long never really had a rest because the cows would just stay at the bottom of these huge hills and linger there a lot more that up the top of the hills were getting not that much use. They put a, put waters at the top and they split this huge pasture into two. And one of the benefits that that resulted in is that chunk of pasture had a little small stream. And in the 2001 drought, it still flowed. And that was because they'd spent enough years changing their practices that it actually was storing water when there was and, and then and seeping back in. And the adjoining nearby areas of that stream were dry. And that's just because they stored it. 
naturally. The capacity for the land to store water is huge if we give it that opportunity. You can extend the available water with good practices. And that's, if you have no water, it doesn't matter if you have grass. Really, really important to take care of our water, to, to make sure it is there when we need it. Mm, no, that's a really good point. When I think of like the water I have, it's the stuff you can see with your eyeballs, the <laughs> snow or the dugouts, but you kind of forget that you're in a way walking on top of the water you have. Absolutely. And I mean, that's just one example, but there's numerous other anecdotes of people we've worked with who, as their riparian area gets healthier and healthier and they reduce the compaction and bare soil and add plants and the plants recome back in, you do get more water. It, again, it doesn't create more water. Water, but it makes it more stable and more consistent and it c- captures it when it is available so it can flow back in to the stream or be available in the wetland longer than if the soil's bare and dry and compacted, it can't be a sponge. It can't hold as much, right? It can't hold the runoff. It can't be that invisible water storage that we need and want. And that's true of dugouts too. It's obviously a little bit different. It's not a flowing water body, for instance, but if you capture it in the ground, even in non-riparian areas, our landscape stores water if we give it the chance. So the more you can capture in your pastures at all times of year, the more it's there for later. And I think that's why litter is so important. And, you know, the carryover that insulates the soil. And to wrap things up, Noreen brings up a very important point. Out here in Alberta, we should always be preparing for a drought. I didn't make up this saying, but I've heard it numerous times from producers. And, you know, if you're not in a drought you're planning for a drought or you're recovering from a drought. So you should always be planning for a drought because like if you're always on the edge of using almost all of your forage up, there's no reserve left. You're not going to have feed left, but you're also going to make your pasture artificially in a drought. So the harder you use it any normal year, I'll say normal or average year, then it's not able to be as resilient during a drought and bounce back. So that's a good kind of long-term insurance policy is always factoring that in in the areas of the provinces that are in the prairies that are drier. Those producers have been doing that for decades. Otherwise, they don't survive. But I think especially for those that are in slightly moister parts of the prairies, you kind of can get away with that a bit more. In tame pastures, in central, in the parkland, it's still important, right? It's still thinking long-term. What's my stability? The healthy pastures and fields that feed, I'll say in quotes, or the runoff of your land into your dugout or into your repairing area, but will increase your water. Like I said, if you trap it and hold it at any time, that that's a good investment into the future, not only in forage production, but also in sustainable water and cleaner water because it's going to have less sediment. It's going to be better for your cows. Healthier cows come from drinking clean water, right? Less nutrients, less pesticides, bacteria, all those things. If they're kept on the land and not in the water, then you're also going to have healthier cows. So all those things feed together um, in addition to the conservation reasons of wildlife and water quality for our neighbors and downstream water drinkers and all those great things too. Yeah, so we got through my questions. I'm not sure if there's anything else that you feel needs to be said about the subject at hand. Maybe I would just say, you know, dugouts are just part of a, a pasture management system, a grazing management system usually. And just like you treat the rest of your land to make it as healthy and sustainable and resilient as possible, that's what you want to do with your dugouts. In the drought, it's maybe a bit late to do that. So always planning that there is a drought coming. You know, it's it's hard to do that. But if you're in a situation already, then taking those extra measures of protecting it will make it last longer and help it rebound quicker if you have that opportunity to, you know, fence it out or even pull cattle away to reduce those impacts so that when water does return, it can rebound. We hope you enjoyed the second installment of the Getting Through Drought series. We've got more episodes coming your way just before Christmas. In the meantime, you might want to listen to episode 10, Working Beavers, 
and episode 15, Ecosystem Services, to give you some ideas on how you can increase the amount of water in your dugouts and the amount of water that's in your land. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by results-driven agriculture research, or RDAR. My parts of the podcast were recorded in Calgary, so that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta, and remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.